I'll say the word and then you just think of literally the first word that comes to mind. Okay. So the first word is millennial. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Eleanor Bennett and I'm here with Stephanie Rausch and you're listening to Reconnecting. Reconnecting. This is a podcast about technology. This is also a podcast about our generation, millennials. We are the last generation to grow up knowing what the world was like without internet at our fingertips. Yet, we've become tech addicts. Our addiction to technology is changing the way we think, act, and relate to one another. It's making our lives easier. But does easier mean better? Sometimes technology makes us feel lonely. It also makes us feel loved and connected. So welcome to our first episode. We're about to meet Henry Bridge. Henry was the director of product for the Hillary Clinton campaign. He's also done a lot of other cool things, but that will come later. We're in a juice bar across from the Carroll Street F station in Carroll Gardens. We're going to record walking up to his house. He doesn't know, so we're going to just show up, mic in hand. Yeah, this is some FBI shit we're about to pull. That's 240. Confused. Uh, 239? What? How can it? Oh, oh, 238. 238. Hi. Hi. Welcome. This is Henry. He's 33 years old. Snapchat, I feel like, is, is like me discovering that I'm actually old. I feel like I must have that same expression on my face that my mom has when she's like using her phone where she's kind of peering at it. Why Why am I swiping here? Why am I going in that direction? So I'm definitely too much of a fogey to like use Snapchat. Henry's a native New Yorker who grew up on the Upper West Side. As a teenager, Henry was into your typical high school things, music, books, history, and thought he would study philosophy in college. But when Henry left New York for Stanford, he discovered his passion for computer science. I really enjoyed thinking about how to solve problems and building new things. Um, and what I found was that it was like the first time in college that I was doing my homework ahead of time, uh, which I took to be a good sign that like I was starting an assignment four days before it was due was like a revelation for me. After college, Henry decided to stay and pursue work in Silicon Valley. He did a stint at Google, then Facebook. Eventually, Henry and his wife, Tessa, came back east to settle down. He and a friend created their own startup, a personal assistant who communicated through text message. But in early 2016, Henry got a job offer he simply couldn't refuse, director of product for the Hillary Clinton campaign in his native New York. While this new gig took him far from Silicon Valley, he says that the new work culture wasn't actually that different. The campaign was run a lot, actually, like a... Uh, a tech startup. When I think of Henry in that office, I can't help but think about the Broad City episode when Abby goes to visit Alana, who has been volunteering for the Hillary campaign. This is cool. This is cool to see this. Your best friend has been working hard all day on the Hillary Rodham Clinton campaign. She's worked in here. She's walked on these floors. She's breathed this air. Take it in. Mm. Yeah, that is it smells decisive. It smells like confidence. It smells like no bullshit. Okay, 
So it wasn't exactly like that, but you get the idea. What Henry was actually doing was creating apps and other tech products to increase voter education. When we asked him if he did anything to specifically target millennials, he told us his team made a Facebook chatbot to help people register to vote. Millennials spend so much of their time texting, and it's such a natural way to communicate with people. We've, we thought it would also be like a fun way to actually, you know, make registering to vote approachable. Did it work? We found... In some cases, it worked really well, but there were some people who got really confused by it. It, it had to be able to understand anything that people threw at it. Um, and that's actually a really difficult problem in computer science. And so it, there were things that it didn't understand. And our method of dealing with that was basically it notifying a human being who would then come and kind of step in. Uh, but often before that happened, it could get kind of confusing for for people. And then they would they would just kind of drop off. It was also... Um, you, you know, I think it's it's a it's a relatively new experience for people to kind of be talking to a computer. Um, so it, it it was a little early, I think, but I'm optimistic in the future about about that kind of experience for registering to vote. I think that I would be confused if a robot was prompting me to register to vote on Facebook. Me too. It sounds like Henry's team learned that at least for now, we're more likely to register to vote via a link that a friend posts on Facebook than a message from a robot. All this talk of how tech can involve more young people in politics leads us to another question. Do you think tech should be political? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, when you first said that, I thought, like, yes, it definitely feels like it's become more political and tech companies have have kind of entered the public discussion more. And this seems obvious, right? Because of the election, everything right now seems hyper-politicized. But if we take a step back and look at the bigger picture, tech companies have to be political because they're changing the way their industries function, like the transportation industry. Companies like like Uber and Lyft and kind of like the 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 gig economy has become a really big political question um, around workers' rights and um, what the kind of, what the future of work is going to look like and what companies' responsibilities are to to their workers. Um, and so I think all of that, because it's very disruptive, has been has been part of the political discussion, and I think necessarily so. So then, are tech companies obligated not only to be part of the discussion, but also to shape it and drive it? Henry says yes. You asked me what technology means to me, and I think it's about building tools and solving problems for people, and it needs to be held to that standard of, of you know, improving people's lives. You know, one of the things that, that I think economists talk about a lot of the time is that whenever there's disruption, there are going to be people who those changes are really good for and people who those changes are not good for. I think this is an interesting point that Henry makes here because he's sort of saying that tech companies, because they are at the forefront of innovation and progress in the world, need to make sure that the people whose lives they're disrupting are going to be taken care of. And this is playing out in so many ways right now. A company like Uber sets the standard for how it treats its drivers, its passengers, and its employees. And it can be a bumpy road, as we've seen for someone like Uber. But Henry says this question isn't new. This has always been a problem. Even thinking back to Google in in the 2000s, right? I mean, there were there were huge 
questions about how much Google should cooperate with China over censorship. Like, is it better to give people in China access to information, even if it's limited? Or should Google just completely disengage in order to like send a message and to get the Chinese government to be more open? Um, So I think, you know, I think technology and information technology has been a part of the discussion for as long as I've been in tech and, and watching it, definitely. And for a country like China, where the media and access to technology is so controlled by the government, what ends up happening is that homogenous ideas and opinions begin to form. And technology begins to push people apart. And we also saw this happen in the 2016 election, with social media bubbles creating the illusion that the whole country was on the same page. So it's clear that these divides are impacted by technology. But Henry also points out that this phenomena has always existed. If you look back a century or something, when people didn't have access to information technology, there probably was a different kind of bubble that people were living in, um, just because they they only had contact with people who are near around them, right? So I don't know whether it's actually gotten worse or whether it was for a period just uh people were were kind of part of the same media sphere and, and through TV and radio um everyone was listening to the same things and so there was that unifying force which now maybe people have gone back to a little bit more of 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 selection of what they're seeing and kind of reinforcing of their own of their own viewpoints do you see any trends that feel long term that suggest technology will affect american politics over time and like do you think it's bringing us together or kind of pushing us apart. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question and I, and something I've been I've been doing a lot of kind of soul searching post election about um, this notion that that by by people are expressing themselves in so many ways on on the internet and all these communities and sub communities and and um, kind of bubbles have have formed. Um, in some cases, bubbles have have formed, um, and what that what that does to uh, human society and our under, understanding of one another. Um, I think that that will definitely continue to affect, you know, affect the world and and affect our politics. Um, I I'm hopeful that um, technology companies will will see that they need to maybe take a more active role in bringing diverse perspectives to people as opposed to um, just showing people whatever they want to see because what people want to see is what reinforces their own beliefs. Do you think technology is making us more lonely or more connected or are there times where you've felt either of those things that you can share? Yeah, I think I think it definitely has the capacity to do both. And from what I've read, there are some interesting studies that look at what the effects are of Facebook on on people's feelings of connectedness or, or loneliness. I'm kind of fascinated by Henry's response to this because our question was pretty open-ended. Nowhere do we mention social media specifically, but this is exactly where his mind goes. If you are like a, a passive just consumer and just look at other people's content, it tends to make you feel more isolated and just kind of compare your life to other people's lives. Whereas if you are a more active participant in terms of sharing things about yourself, having 
conversations with people and, and kind of meaningful interactions, then it has much more of, a, of an effect of making you feel connected. So Eleanor, does the internet or social media ever make you lonely? Yeah, definitely. I find myself scrolling through my Facebook newsfeed all the time, looking at photos of my friends having fun together, and I'm like alone in my room. Wait, that sounds so sad. But it's true. Sometimes I get to an Instagram photo of someone who I don't even know, and it's from like six months ago, and I find myself with these crazy feelings of like, what the hell? How did I even get here? Don't I have something better to do with my time? I think when you start asking yourself those questions, that's when you know you're lonely. Or maybe the internet just got the best of you for a moment. And Henry feels the same way too. Yeah, I think there are times when, again, when when you just kind of get into that mode where you're just like scrolling past stuff and you're like seeing things and you just kind of lose track of time. And then at some point you kind of snap out of it and you're like, well, what, like, what, have, what have I been doing? Like, let me go do something. Um, and at that moment, I feel like it does feel isolating of like, why am I looking at these things as opposed to doing something? But for Henry, those fleeting moments of loneliness are worth it because the internet is constantly teaching us things about ourselves and maybe even about society. Whenever you put something out on the internet, it, you, you always learn something. There's always something unexpected. If I were completely leaving technology, yeah, like I think either an opera critic or I would become a geologist and like study volcanoes or something. So how should we end this? We could riff off the beginning. Like something. (laughs) I feel like, I don't know, like reintroduce ourselves. This is Stephanie Rausch and Eleanor Bennett. And that was... Reconnecting. Reconnecting. (laughs) (laughs) Our second episode will be coming out in a couple weeks, so subscribe now on iTunes, on the new Spoke app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thank you to our friend Eric Benepe for our theme music. And special thanks to Misha Youssef and Josh Schwartz for their sage wisdom. Why did the tomato blush? It saw the ketchup on the table. (laughs) Because it saw the salad dressing.